In this episode, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle discuss a variety of meanings found in the images and symbols of the snake, nakedness, and of Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for a brief segment in this particular podcast, listener discretion is advised. Snakeskins, Ari territory, and women with hammers this week on A Rabbi and Pastor Walked In. Welcome to A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. I'm Pastor Danielle. And I'm Rabbi Ari, and happy Easter, Danielle. And Hag Sameach, happy Passover coming your way. Yep, it's now springtime, thank God. And so, of course, we're going to talk about spring and fall in the story of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Right, so this is a wonderful way to introduce it because you just called it spring and fall. But um, <laughs> we, in Christian circles, we typically look at the eating of the fruit um, at the tree, which of course has been most frequently depicted as an apple, though of course the text doesn't say at all what type of fruit it is. Um, and we can all have our, we can hazard our guesses, but they're just guesses at best. I know exactly what it was. What was it? It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the tree, right? <laughs> It's a fruit we don't have. It's right a now. fruit we don't have anymore. It only exists in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> right. And the only reason that people called it an apple is because one word for apple in Latin is maldum, which is the same word as bad. Mal. Oh, okay. So that's how that came about. It gets depicted that way. Yeah, huh? the, the rabbis go nuts on what kind of a fruit was it? Was it olives? Was it this? Was it that? Grapes? It could be fig because they get clothes made out of fig trees, right? It afterwards. could be. Right, but we don't know. No. Hopefully I'm... not. Not like um, not a cactus. I want to find something that's not... Sabra fruit, yeah. (laughs) No, I don't think so. So, yeah, so Christians call it the fall. This is typically referred to in Christian circles and in theology as the fall of humanity or the fall of mankind. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Was it a fall? call it the spring. You call it the spring. Because I don't believe that Adam and Eve were created as adults. I believe they were created as children. Hmm. And so this was their acquiring of sexual knowledge and mental knowledge hmm. at moral knowledge because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it's actually it's two words put together good and evil they're connected in, the, in by a different kind of and in hebrew hmm. instead of tov vira it's tov vara hmm. good and evil which means it's two words together like sick and tired which doesn't mean sick and it doesn't mean tired it means fed up and knowledge of good and evil is not good and evil it's Good and evil, which means moral knowledge. Moral knowledge. Moral knowledge. Huh. Okay. And why is it a tree? That's a good question, and I'm not going to answer that one because I'm not. A, I'm, there are so many good answers that I'm not going to restrict our conversation to that. <laughs> well, I have not. I don't even know if I've ever asked that question. Why is it a tree? Yeah, you have every detail in the Bible. Since the Bible has so few details, hmm. whenever there's a detail, you have to ask yourself, why is it? Like this. Right. One of my uh, rabbinic thought professors said that of Chazal, of the, you know, the wise rabbinic sages looking at the text, that they would be bothered by any mystery. So they considered themselves, you know, textual detectives having to ask every single question. Well, this is the thing is that, you know, I, I heard this sentence, sent, I forget if it was Einstein, but he said, more knowledge has been gained from what <laughs> than aha. Because yes. aha just confirms yes. your preconceived notions. Yes. But what? And that's the whole point of Passover, mm. to start off the Seder by going, what? 
right? <laughs> we, we have to ask these questions. If you don't have people asking the questions, you haven't fulfilled the command of the Passover, of, the, right. of the Passover meal and Seder. And that's just in the book of Exodus for those interested in reading and to read through and read carefully and asking all of those questions. It's interesting, Kevin Kelly um, recently wrote a book that that my Kevin read, um, and he summarized a bit and sort of pulled out some of his most um, uh, appealing moments and thoughts. And one was about the power of questions. And one of the assertions that Kevin Kelly says is that this is the one thing that humans can do that artificial intelligence will not do, is that we will continue to be asking these questions, right? This is a uniquely and innately human trait. And, and so I love, I love that we're going to continue to ask these questions. Is it a fall? Is it a spring? What kind of fruit? What happened afterwards? Why was there a tree there in the first place? Um, what's that snake doing? So let's look at the text. And One more it. thing is that this is almost Passover. We're about to ask these questions. Uh, Ailey Bizell, who just died, a Holocaust scholar and, and who survived it and wrote so beautifully about it, noticed that the question... And the answer to the wicked child is the same as the one to the child who does not know to ask. Mm. And he said, why is that? And his answer was, because it's those who do not question evil who bring evil to power. Nice. That's beautiful and important and very insightful. Yeah. So go where you're going to go. Well, let's go to the garden. Well, we can go to the garden, but I was wondering, I think, you know, what we were talking about last time we met was the sort of end of chapter two, which was the creation of woman and or the aha of there is the woman. And so now I know myself to be a man. Um, She is Isha. So now I will I also know sort of I know that I am an Ish. And after that, they're naked and unashamed. And here we go into this verse. And I think that piece is going to be important. And you're going to speak to that. So it says that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Um, And then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees, eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now I got to go back. Yes, let's start. Because the the last verse of chapter two is that the the men and women were naked. And the first verse of Arumim Arumim is the word for naked. naked. And it comes from the word or with an ayin, which means skin. Mm. And erva, which means sexual awareness mm. and desire. And um, then it says that the Nahash was arum more than any other creature on earth. Mm. So why do they translate that as crafty? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Because it basically and literally means he was nakeder. Right. Now, how did a snake become nakeder than any other animal? Yeah. Because it sheds its mm-hmm. skin mm-hmm. and becomes even more naked. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you're going to see that they're going to be dressed in snake skin. Mm-hmm. It just says skin. But mm-hmm. what skin was around? Would God kill some animal just to dress a couple of sinners? And the answer is interesting. There's a whole bunch of snake skins laying around. <laughs> and so that's what they were wearing, I believe. And huh. so it starts off with them being naked. It's an interesting midrash. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's based on the data. And so <laughs> yeah. they're naked in the beginning. And in the next verse, in the beginning of chapter four, is and the man knew Hava, his wife, and she got pregnant and she gave birth. And there you have the concept of sexual knowledge. They right. start being naked, right. but they're not ashamed. And right. they end up being naked. And creating birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this story is all about to me. Mm-hmm. It's not about 
the degeneration of humankind. It's about growing up. And that's why I call it springtime, because it means they're young adults and they're able to finally procreate. But hmm. we'll get there. Sure. Okay, so the serpent is the snake. The Nahash is more naked than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made. And so then the serpent says, the snake says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? That's what God said. Don't eat of any, uh, don't, you can have any fruit you want, but you can't eat from the tree of good and evil. Right. But that's not what the serpent says, right? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Any tree of the garden. Right. So he doesn't say, did God really say that you can't eat fruit from that tree, from that tree of knowledge of good and evil? It's like, did God say you can't eat any fruit here in this whole garden? And so we have this this thing right away, right, where the snake, more naked or more shrewd or more crafty or whatever it is more at naked. the very beginning, more naked, right? That that in that moment, he starts... It's the unvarnished truth. Right, the unvarnished <laughs> truth, right. And, and typically... Christians have interpreted this snake to be Satan. But the text actually doesn't say that, not here. Um, for Christians reading in the book of Never Revelation. It says it in the Old Testament. It only says it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, right. in Revelation chapter 20, at the very beginning, it says that serpent, that snake, that dragon, that which is Satan, the right. accuser. And so it's clear that John, who's writing the book of Revelation, who is Jewish and a Jewish follower of this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, he has this interpretation. So, um, you know, it looks like at least within the first century time period that within that strain of Judaism and possibly others, that there was some interpretation that that the snake was Satan. But the problem is that it doesn't say that here in Genesis. However, it's the only animal that's talking. So something's it's weird about it. It's the only animal recorded as recorded talking. talking, right? And um, except and for Billum's ass later on, <laughs> right? But both of those are anomalies, right? That's it's right. not a typical thing. Like in Aesopic fables later on, there will be lots of animals that talk, right? And that's a fable, but that's not common. Um, and as it's not a common experience within our text, it's not unheard of, but it's not common. And then we also have so so it's acting differently and weird than at least what we think and understand the other animals to be acting as. And then it starts with sort of a literalist a literalism question, right? So for all the biblical literists out there, it's like, well, let's get to the exactly what did God really say here? And then it's quoted incorrectly. So now let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. I told you there are very few details. In the Bible. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing we have about the Nahash, the snake, is the middle of a conversation. Mm. Did God really say? Right, right. Who said what to whom first and how did they meet and what were they talking about? What were they doing? Yes. Why did they get there? Did they go on picnics together all the time, the snake and Eve? I mean, what was this all about? Right, right. We don't know what the first even, what the previous conversation is or if these were the very it's first words. It's in the words. middle of everything. Right. And when they're, when he's speaking, later on we'll see that Adam is also there. That, that the man and the woman are both present for this conversation um, in the way that the Hebrew works, but we don't see that as not easily sure. in the English. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, it's plural, right? In some of these portions, like when, when it's speaking and when the Nahash is speaking to them, right? And she says we, but it doesn't mean he's necessarily there. And then the, the husband, the man is there too, right? So all the way going he, down. Right. We just don't know when he got there. I mean, there's, there's yeah. all these details are not there. Right. One of the things that's different about modern 
unless you're talking about James Joyce or somebody else who's you know, sure. Dali or Fellini or whatever. But but it, you find in modern in, uh, fiction that you want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You want to have the realism aspect so you mm-hmm. know. But the Bible doesn't really deal with that. Right. The Bible only focuses in on the few family photographs that you've got. Right. And then what you have to do is you have to pick up the picture and say, well, this is Aunt this and Uncle that. And this is, oh, this is when you were over there at the, at the, right. you know, at the store. So all that is left for us yeah. as parents or as participants to tell the story. We yeah. have no idea who, who's right. where, when, and why they're talking. Right. And she is not at all surprised by this talking snake. Right, right. And she responds with, well, we may eat from fruit. You know, she, she corrects him. Right. Oh, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it. So there's this weird addition because that's not actually what God had said, right? There's no record of that. And... Or you will die. So we have this. She's As got a matter of fact, God said earlier, on the day you eat of it, you'll die. Right. On the day you eat of it, you'll die. Which is wonderful to your argumentation that these are not 24-hour day periods in our creation narrative of a seven-day week with 24-hour days because they didn't die. Nope. On the day that they ate it. Yeah. Okay. So they have this conversation. And, As a matter and, of fact, another thing is yeah. when, when your parents told you stuff. And they oversold the case of what you shouldn't do, right? <laughs> right. And then it didn't happen the bad way that they first... The, yes. If you run with scissors, you're going to poke your eye out. Mm-hmm. Well, I ran with scissors. I didn't poke my eye out. Mm-hmm. But everything else you're telling me is wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing we have here. Mm. If she heard or she imagined or they heard or imagined... Or like, Adam told her or whatever it Whatever. Was. Right. That if you touch it, it's as bad as eating it. Right. And you bump into it. You brush against it because mm-hmm. you're so... And you don't die. Mm-hmm. Then you go, oh, yeah. So all that's the stuff you told me. That's not going to be happening. Right. right. So, wow. Right. Do you think that then goes to the verse that we were just discussing in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy end of chapter 12, which is? Or the beginning of chapter 13, depending on the, which uh, and, Old Testament's end of chapter 12 and the Hebrew right. Bible is beginning of chapter and 13. And that uh, the gospel, the, again, John in the book of Revelation discusses Do all these it, commandments, loto sifa, loti grami menu, don't add to it and don't detract from it. Right. Don't add to it. Don't detract from it. And the most violated command in the entire <laughs> Bible, because there's so much of Judaism and so that's done right. that wasn't there then. There were no rabbis back then. Right. There were no synagogues back then. We had, you know, we didn't have Purim. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I mean, we didn't have Christmas or Easter. So no, I mean, all those things, you know, things, so, right. yeah, we all do that, you know. We'll, yeah. It, and it's uh I, I think it's important to continue to remember that in all humility, that when we go into the text and we have these conversations in this particular way, or as people that teach and speak about Torah and New Testament quite a bit, um, that we, we should have some humility when we have this conversation. Yep. Because everyone brings to the text their own experiences, their own lenses, their own hopes for the text, um, or their anger with the text, or whatever it is. And I think that's true of everyone, whether or not they're a person of faith, right? Everybody who comes to it. So if you're going to read a Christopher Hitchens book or a Dawkins book, you know, the Old Testament God, quote unquote, the Old Testament God is wrathful and vengeful and angry and terrible they and the awful. They were the first to say They're not the first to suggest <laughs> that, but also they're coming to that with their own experience, with mm-hmm. their own uh, determination of what they're going to find when they open the pages. And... Whereas I, I think you and I have often decided that we're going to go to the text um, as honestly as we can, but that honestly is that honesty also means that we're going to be honest about the lens we bring. Mm-hmm. And I very deliberately and intentionally decide to pick up a lens of love and grace and mercy 
and and hope and um and so when i read and reconciliation and all these things so when i read i read looking for those threads to pull through well you know picking up the bible is like picking up a dictionary mm. it's got every word in it mm-hmm. and then you just focus on the ones you like <laughs> right 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 because hatred and violence and you know destroy sure. the midianites or whatever it is and wipe out the canaanites that's in there that's and in love there. your neighbor as yourself and covenant love of love God. to a thousand oh generations so everything and... is in there happy and yes. sad and violent and peaceful and you pick the religion you want and and this is what the rabbis called a yoke right that when they talk about taking on the yoke of torah they're talking about an interpretation and so there were different rabbis during jesus's day and following and so you can go to the rabbi or the pastor in my case that's going to preach fire and brimstone and all this, you know, careful and, you know, anger and judgment and all of that. Or you can go to the other church down the street that's going to be focused on something different. And we all make those choices. Sometimes we're just not honest about it while we sit there. That's usually the case. That's usually the case. So you want to be like the snake, unvarnished truth. Unvarnished (laughs) truth, right? Did God really say, right? And I do think I've always... never said anything wrong. I've always looked at this portion to this little passage here to suggest that it's probably not best to always ask um, only, did God really say, right? Instead, if, if this question had been different, what is the intention of, the of God, of, of the intention of the question or the intention of God's command here to keep you safe? So even if they, Adam or the woman, right, if they added something to it, like, well, and don't even touch it, Right? This is like a fencing of the Torah, right? Like we're going to, we're so concerned that you might eat this fruit that we've just decided you shouldn't even look at it cross-eyed, right? Just stay as far away from that fruit as possible. And that way you can be sure to not break the command. And, and Christians do this a lot um, for particularly the command of like drinking, right? So in the New Testament, they'll say, don't get drunk. So then they'll say, okay, well, see, you don't even want to get near getting drunk, right? So in prohibition and the teetotalers and all these other things that there's this idea of just don't even take a sip because then you won't be tempted to go further. And that's, that's exactly this type of thing of deciding to fence the Torah and pull out the command so as to try to avoid breaking it entirely. And we all do that in different ways. And we have, we have different rules of, of when that seems important. And I have a, a direct analogy to this story. Hmm. My daughter just got married. Okay. So when your children are young, you say, you know, don't go out there and have sex with anybody at the age of six or whatever. You know, don't do that. Right. And then they go to high school and they're more able to think about these <laughs> to things. To make their own decisions. This is right. Yeah. But still, you know, you want to be careful and watching over and not have them go down sure. in flames with a wrong decision. And then they fall in love. Right. And then they're thinking about this could be a real serious person. Right. And then all of a sudden you have to reevaluate because this is like really serious. And then you're going, well, is this person really right for my child? Mm -hmm. And it's a whole different conversation Mm -hmm. because you know where it's going to lead God willing to grandchildren. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 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 And that's exactly where this story is all about. Mm. Don't take from the tree of moral and carnal knowledge Mm. because you're not old enough. Mm. And then when they take it on their own, which they will, Right. Interesting. Then they give birth. And that, you know, in the marriage mm. relationship. And so that's how I see this whole story. They have to protect them until they're old enough. And when God understood that, hmm. God gave them clothes hmm. to deal with it. And then told them, okay, at the very end of the story, let me tell you, Eve, you're going to have kids. This mm-hmm. is what happens. Oh, does that hurt? <laughs> I mean, I, 
personally, as God, I have not experienced that in that kind of a way. But you will. And Adam, oh, you got to get a job. I'm kicking you out of the garden. You can't come back in your little kid's mm-hmm. room anymore. Your bed's too small. Go out there and get a mm-hmm. job. And you're going to have to work the land. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to just going to sweat. It's not going to want to give you its food. Going to mm-hmm. find out. You can't just pick the stuff off the tree. You got to go out there and really earn it. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to grow up. That's why I call it the spring when people grow up, mm-hmm. get married, have jobs, and go into the crazy market we call adulthood. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what's going on here. The only two things that are cursed are the ground, which right. is going to be cursed by swallowing the dead body of Abel in the next story, hmm. and the blood, hmm. and the serpent itself, who brought about this whole thing by asking questions in a way to provoke the wrong thing. Now, hmm. here's what I think the serpent is. Phallic symbol. Snake. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but that you know that's why it appears to... Eve and not huh. to Adam. He wasn't hmm. gay. He was straight and she was straight and she was hmm. fascinated by hmm. this phallic symbol which is why it's talking to her. Okay. <laughs> I'm, oh, okay. I'm sitting, we haven't had that I'm, in your thing yet. <laughs> this is not a common Christian tra- you think? interpretation. No. It's not a common Jewish one either, but, but it is. <laughs> oh, so we're in RE territory here. No, it's not just RE territory. <laughs> I didn't make this one up. But I, I, I may have embellished <laughs> But no, no. The thing is that she's finally being attracted by male sexuality. Hmm. That's moral and carnal knowledge. That tree I told you about, hmm. which stands straight up as a nice big trunk, and there you have a squiggly little one on the ground. And so hmm. now, all of a sudden, she's attracted to it. And now, why? Because she's ready, hmm. physically and emotionally and bodily and mentally. And one of the things that we deal with is the concept of bar and bat mitzvah, is that we're having Jews who are 12 Mm. become Jewish adults and responsible for their own actions in a moral way Mm. at 12. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if you have rural agrarian societies in the past, they got married at those ages. But why? Because their bodies were ready for it. Mm -hmm. And so when we do this bar and bat mitzvah with them, we know that that year is the last year we can really do this. Mm. Because after that, they're going to go into full rebel with a cause kind of thing, Mm. you know, and sullen teenager stuff. And so this is the last year you can do it. Mm. And we have to realize that in addition to becoming mentally ripe, they're also physically ripe. Mm. Interesting. And so we have to realize and let them realize that they are now responsible for their actions in a way that we can't even be controlling. Hmm. So like the the period or season of, of this specific type of parental influence is Over. passing, right? Yeah. You have to do it differently. Interesting. Their eyes will be opened and they will know. That's right. Yeah. They will see all of a sudden. I mean, I remember watching the kids run around, my kids run mm-hmm. around naked. Mm-hmm. They didn't know. Mm-hmm. They're living in the garden. Right. By the time they realize they're naked, they're no longer in the garden. Right. 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 So... What's interesting, right, is after they eat this fruit, I'm, I'm shifting, I'm changing subjects here, I don't quite know how to respond to all of that, but I, I like the idea of the maturity and, and a, a season and time of knowledge. Um, so what, what happens? So you're not going to die. God knows that if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and then you will be like God. Also not true, right? Well, that's at the end of the story. So God says, now we've, maybe the human is like one of us. Right. Knowing Tovarah, knowing moral knowledge. Right. And, but they can't, 
right? That God is also concerned, like, they can't um, eat from the tree of life because then they'll live forever. So that's, like, the... When God sort of kicks them out, I always felt like it was, like, well, we can't have this happening again. <laughs> there's, these, there's this other tree now that they can't eat from. And that's the weirdest one because in Jewish and in Christian mm-hmm. lore, the live forever, the tree of life. I mean, that's the name of my congregation, Eitz Chaim, right, right. Uh, tree of life. And so, uh, and you have tree of life as a major, major, major incentive major. in Christianity. Right. And we also have the concept, whether you believe it in a resurrection, we talk mm-hmm. about our next world. Of course. So the question is, how, do, how does one live forever? Right. And here is how you do it. Mm-hmm. You have to have the right knowledge. Hmm. for Christians as well as for Jews. Hmm. And even if you don't have religious, you have to have the right knowledge. If you don't put your knowledge in the right place, either you won't be able to acknowledge that which will be life-giving right. or eternity-granting, mm-hmm. or you won't be able to understand it. So um, Fascinating. that's why one leads to the other. Why are there two Fascinating. trees? Right. Why are there two trees? Right? Yeah. Um, so she takes some of the food after these sort of three lies that she gets from, from the snake and she takes the food, the fruit and she eats it. And so does her husband who was with her. He eats it and the eyes of both of them are open. They realize they're naked. They sew fig leaves together and make coverings from this. It's the largest leaf. It's the only one that makes sense. How do you sew them together? Olive leaves with have what taken do you a sew really them? long time. Olive t- <laughs> Because you have to eat all of them. <laughs> you have to eat all of them, that's right. <laughs> and then in this, they, they hear the sound of the Lord God as God is walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. What the heck does that mean? I don't know. It's, it's sort of beautiful, though, right? Because for me, I think it implies that this is not the first time that God has done this. Like God's walking in the cool of the evening, sort of like God does, and hanging out, and they hear him, and so then they hide. There's another case of this later on in the book of uh, Samuel, uh, where David and his army are listening to the Philistines, and, it's, uh, and, and they have these ghostly warriors mm. that are walking across the trees on top of them, and they hear the trees rustle, the sycamore right. trees. Right. And, yeah, and... Yeah, so Ambek Rafaim, they call it the Valley of the Ghosts after that. So, wow. But I don't know if what they were hearing or if they were just hearing the evening wind and they assumed that that was God or what. I mean, that's not because I'm trying to make a naturalistic interpretation. No, of it. but it's, but it's um, so for Christians, we have this idea of the incarnation, right? And so when, right. when God becomes human flesh, God is going to have to do a self-limiting action. Right. So God, who is everywhere, omnipresent, omniscient, you know, omnipotent, all of those things, then at that moment, for Christians, as, as we believe God becomes one of us, I don't think that Jesus at birth was thinking, all right, I've got like six months of goo goo gaga, and I'll just keep pulling that. Well, I'll be an early talker so I can get this over, right? And like, then I'll, no, of course, like believing that in the limitation that there's still fully human, fully divine for Christians, like that this is a, a process of also coming, a self limiting of God, and then also coming to experience life as humanity and show us how to live. So for me in this moment, seeing God walk in the cool of the garden is another moment of that sort of self-limiting moment or an incarnational moment. It makes sense to me um, to see God trying. God doesn't have to. God isn't only there. God is everywhere. But God provides an experience for the people, for Adam 
and Eve coming, her name will be there soon, for the man and the woman to be able to have now this experience because then the next thing God says is, where are you? And, and I love this question too because God, of course, if I believe that God is all-knowing, God knows where they are. God knows what has happened. All of this is already done. So what's the purpose of the question? To right? give them the opportunity, right? Now it starts with a question by the Nachash, by the yeah. snake. Yeah. And it ends with a question by God. Where are you? Yeah. Ayeka. Yeah. And then the man. Where are you? I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hit next question. Who told you you were naked? Yeah. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then they don't answer. <laughs> it's like, you know, when you see your kid climb to the top of the fridge and steal the cookies. I know the cookies are And the cookies are like all just <laughs> Do you have a cookie? Nope, not me. Right. Should you know at some point you've you've been found out? Yeah. It was a tomato. And then and then all the goopy tomatoes. Right. Seeds. Who told you that you have answered? Have you eaten this? And then the, of course uh, the man answers. Well, that woman that you gave me. That woman that you gave me. <laughs> um, she she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And do you know somebody actually recently um, in the political world referenced this verse because. And I'm not making a statement here, but Ben Carson was called before Congress regarding that $31,000 table for his office. Yeah. And he's like, he said, well, my, my wife. wife. Made me good. <laughs> my wife. And then and he went home like, and she said, you said what? <laughs> we don't have that recorded So anymore. they were like, uh, yeah, that woman you gave me, she made me buy the table. Ugh. She made me eat the fruit. So we haven't moved that far from moments like nope. this, right? So he passes the bark or the buck. Like, she's the one that made me do this with the tree. And then... Um, what is it you've done? The serpent deceived me, so I ate. And now here's to your point. The serpent gets cursed and the ground gets cursed. It's a really weird word. For is it? To, yeah. Hmm. It's hisiani, which hisiani. is kind of hisiani. Like hissy. Hiss. Yeah. Like the snake. Interesting. Hissiani. Wow. But it means raise me up. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know exactly why, but one of the things that happens when you have... Uh, words in the in the Bible, and there are many of them that are just kind of off, mm-hmm. and and they don't really really work. Is that people really work to fit them in? You know, the mm-hmm. round peg and the square hole and stuff. Yeah, this is one of those. Interesting. So, right, serpent deceived me, so I ate, and then here's this interesting passage, right? Like, cursed are you above all the livestock, all the wild animals. You're going to crawl in your belly. You're going to eat the dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel and you know that's repeated in the story of benjamin or the, the blessing of benjamin you uh, uh you will fall back and smack the the snake cave on its head right and also we have this picture Chapter 49 with, genesis if you're looking it up folks thank you that's good <laughs> um and also uh David and Goliath, David and Goliath, right? We have Goliath sort of being presented before David, who is ruddy and handsome and sort of earthy, you know, this Adam. And he, this sort of snake-like, he's got scales of armor and all of this sort of comes forward. He's a fish. Right. And the stone hits and he doesn't fall backwards. He falls forward. But his, this snake is defeated. By the stone dust. in the head, right? And he's eating, eating dust. dust. He eats dust pretty quick, falls forward in this worship. And also that picture with Yael, right? And and Sisera, this sort of like snake kind of feature. And she he crawls into the tent and she drives the tent peg right through his hammer. head, right? 
Yeah, with the hammer that crushes. Beware women with hammers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Particularly if you're somebody whose name is a little snake-like when you're walking in. Well, her name is Billy Goat. And so all her the, name is all Billy the, Goat, all yeah. the, uh, yeah, yes, sis, yes. Uh, right. All the, all the heroes in that story are, have, uh, uh stingers. Yes. Devorah is a bee, Deborah, mm-hmm. and she's got a stinger and Barack is lightning. It's a stinger. And yeah, Elle is a Billy Goat. She's got a horn or a, it's, Puts yeah. Head. So a lot of this kind of, and of course for Christians, we actually have this moment um, where we very much sort of see this happening in the Garden of Gethsemane and and following that we're having this, you know, ultimate triumph over evil. Um, but this this type of scene and this enmity between the snake and humanity is. I, you know, I understood through. the concept of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, mm-hmm. Gethsemane means a, a oil press, oil and, a, and I have to say that Mel Gibson was my teacher on this mm. because of these, the way he phrased his Passion of the Christ movie starts off in Gethsemane. And what is an oil press? It's a place where they squeeze and break the olives into yeah. just oil. So there you get a combination of, of the torture yes. of Jesus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the oil with which to anoint him. Right. Yeah. So I didn't really appreciate that till I let uh, Mel Gibson teach me. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> I'm glad that's the only thing. <laughs> that's not the only thing, but anyway. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, the woman's going to have pain in childbirth. But this is this other interesting part that it comes into a little bit of an earlier conversation we had about Ezer Konegda. What does it mean that that Adam, that the man is not able at that time? He's Adam looking. He needs find, like, a helper fit for him. Right, yes, help Ezer fit Kenegda. for him. Um, that we, when we talked about this before in the earlier podcast, we talked about how that word Ezer is most often used for God. Like, I need help, and we're looking to help. So, here now we have your chuka, your desire will be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. Yep. And so, I like to point out that in all of our um, experiences in life, we feel very comfortable, particularly in Christianity, of fighting against. Um, the, the quote-unquote curse, right? We believe in the curse reversing death of Jesus and and the resurrection. And so at that point, we go, okay, well, Adam, like, yeah, you know what? Life is hard tilling the ground. Let's make you a tractor. We're going to give you a road. Like, I mean, we find all these ways to make it easier. Women, childbirth is painful. Let's find ways to reduce the pain, whether it's trying to still do it naturally or you're able to have some medicinal assistance, all of that. But when we get to this part, your desire will be for your husband. He's going to rule over you. I find that a lot of Christians like, well, hierarchy, patriarchy, that's just the way it is. I mean, just God just made it that way. I'm like, no, 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 you get to fight against this one too. This is not how God initially set things up in the garden in terms of this narrative. This is part of the consequence. So why wouldn't you still fight against that rather than simply saying and leaning back in, oh, well, you know, it's just the way that God made it from the beginning, which of course, there's a whole bunch of verses in the New Testament um, that I would point to to say, but that's it's not the way God wants it to continue to be. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, God's going to say the same thing to Cain. Right. Cain, he's going to say, sin crouches at the door and you're, it's desire, it your just, desire will be, yeah. It and, desires to have you. But you can rule you over can it. You can rule over it. So exactly. that's women's lib, I guess, that they ultimately put up with it. That's the, it's perfect. That's right. That's the, that's yeah. the second shoe dropping. The, the second shoe. Chuba. Chuba. Sorry. <laughs> Chuba. Return. Yeah. Desire and the, the only the third time that, that this word, desire, um, appears in our text is in Song of Songs. Right. And it says, the woman says, I am my beloved's. And his desire, desire is, is for me. me. Right. And it's a whole garden scene. And so we see that there is this, this, these pictures of it being set back to right. Which we should also say, one of the things about the Bible 
is it's an incredibly rich yes. and multivaried story, but it also has pieces mm-hmm. that reappear from yes. time to time. Yes. And so you take any one verse out yeah. of the whole yeah, and you don't follow the whole story and see what else is going. Now you can say, well, Song preach, of Songs. Preach, Rabbi, preach. <laughs> <laughs> but Song of Songs is so much later. It's yeah. not in the Torah. Let's just forget about all the other uh, uh, documentary hypotheses when it came to right. be. But it doesn't right. really matter. It's still part of the Bible. It's and so, story. Right. And so when the rabbis who finally accepted which books are in and mm-hmm. which books are out, that was one of the ones they had the hardest time with because it was the sexiest. Right. And they had to reinterpret all of it as being an allegorical love fest between well, God Akiva and Israel. Akiva calls it the holy of holies of our text. Right. right. And I think because Akiva knew what it was all about. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Right. He and Eve. Yeah. They knew it. <laughs> it can be about both. No, it is about yeah. both. Everything's about both. And so <laughs> right. and so the, the, the fact that looking at the odyssey of desire, how about mm. that? That's as nice. it starts in Genesis 3, right, Genesis right. 4, and Song of Songs, that that's the word to find all the egalitarianism and overcoming yes. of my desires toward you, even though you're going to make me pregnant again, and it's going to hurt like all get out. Right. And the next one, no, I won't murder again. I can overcome this desire I yes. have to murder. And the third one is, I love you, you love me, we're going to love each other. And it's, right. We're just so in love with each other as we're desiring all the time. These Edenic moments, right? Yeah. These these moments of trying to go grab back hold of these pieces of shalom, of when there was this harmony with, with God and creation and human beings and creation. I mean, all of those things, one into another. We, um, in Christianity, there's a... Um, a conversation about in in the cross and the resurrection we have a picture of the fulfillment of our promises right but we have it's a yes and a not yet and we wait we call it inaugurated eschatology right Gesundheit. But, yes the beginning <laughs> of the things that are to come right uh-huh. and um and so i i like that i get to have these tastes of things being set right, and I think that's what we get to see in in the Bible. We get to see things going terribly wrong, right? And we get to see God working in spite of, or even with, all of those things. And then we get to see these moments and these tastes of things going right. Yep. yep. As they should be. Yeah. By the way, I should say that the word Eden, because you said Edenic, yes. Eden means delight. Mm-hmm. So the Garden of Eden is like the, the Garden of Earthly Delights. Yes. And the First time I learned this is when I went to Israel the very first time, and I was taken to a restaurant called Ma'adan. Mm. And Ma'adan means a place of delight, but it's also the word for delicatessen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because deli is delicate eating. Right, right. Delicatessen. Essen is, is German and Yiddish. Delicatessen. It's delightful eating. That's <laughs> wonderful. <Ma'adan. laughs> That's so great. I love it. But you see what happens when you eat it. You get kicked out of the you deli. You get kicked out of the garden. Careful. <laughs> out of the deli. <laughs> right. Too much pastrami for you. Right. Right. <laughs> so I don't want to deny that my tradition has seen this as also a fall. Mm, I want to sure. read one, one verse uh, from the tradition. And this is from the Talmud Sanhedrin. And it says, Rabbi Yudah said in the name of Rav, Adam's body, this is Adam Kadmon, the mm-hmm. very first human being, reached from one end of the universe to the other. Hmm. He was so big. But after he acted offensively in the garden, the Holy One laid his hand on him and diminished him and said, you've hen me in behind and for, quoting Psalm mm-hmm. 139, so that he became human size. But in the beginning, his human potential was universal. Hmm. And when he ended up being just another Joe Schmo, 
going out to work and getting married, whatever. He became just a small human being. Hmm. So in that case, it's not a fall, but it's a diminution. Right. But it is the same kind of thing. Nonetheless, I still see them being born as kids, and this is their I like that idea. Ari. It's fun. It's fun to consider, and it's fun to continue to rework. I mean, we have a lot of theology in Christianity that talks about Adam as the one that first sinned and sinned into the world. Adam and Eve sinned right. and entered the world and all these types of things. And we're sort of fighting against that ever since. But I, I like the idea of also having to grow up and learn how to walk. Um, and that is very much um, a part of also Paul's teachings, right? That that you can't drink milk forever. You have to move to meat at some point. And when I was a child, I thought like a child. But now that I'm an adult, I think like an adult. So we have this also, this concept of maturing in your faith. And you and Kevin are going to Israel next week. And I'm going to give you some money to give tzedakah to give when you get there. Yeah, it's an old Jewish tradition to give people money to give when they go on a trip. I used to think that if you've got money to give as Sadaka to do righteous action, then God would protect you because you're on a mitzvah, you're on a mission, a mission. from God. <laughs> right. I don't think that that works out given the history of people doing good things and getting squished in the middle of it. But it fills a person's mind with the thought of giving to somebody. Soon. Right, and so I just went to New York, a friend of mine gave me some money, and my mind was, where am I going to find it? Where am I going to give it? Hmm. What's the good thing I can do? And I walked past a man who was sitting on a heating grate in the middle of the blizzard hmm. that was just there. Hmm. And that was the obvious place to give it. Sure. Well, thank you. Have and we'll um, also then have a small pause on our podcast for a few weeks while during the travel. But we'll look forward to talking with everyone. And again, if you would like to like our podcast, uh, share it with friends. And uh, we have some exciting things we've been working on upcoming again. And uh, also email in any questions or topics you'd like to have discussed. Amen. I hear you come.